morning, church. Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. So where is that? It's in the Old Testament, but your iPhone will get you there anyway. I want to continue on the theme of what I was speaking on last week and We're asking the question that if we really are coming into a moment that God is wanting to bring sudden resolution and inheritance upon us, then why is it not happening for many of us? And so last week we looked at part one of that. I encourage you, if you were not here, go back, listen to the podcast. It's on our website. But I want to speak to you this morning about the second part of that, that I believe that many times that we're waiting on a season that is already upon us. How many times do we use the excuse slash reason, I'm waiting on God? In reality, God is usually waiting on you and I. That is a reality. But regardless of whether or not it's in season or out of season, the question is, can we both produce and reproduce in a less than ideal moment? Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. If you're looking for the perfect season, keep looking. Because in this lifetime, it's never going to happen. Let me tell you, heaven's going to be really great. It will be a perfect season. You will always be whatever the perfect age was that you thought you've already missed. Your hair will grow back in. You can live at the buffet, never gain weight. I mean, 72 degrees, 60% humidity. I mean, it's, it's, every, it's just going to be the ideal season. It's going to be perfect. And yet there's something decidedly imperfect about this life. Is that nothing ever ideally lines up the way we would like for it too, does it? Pastor Rice Brooks, years ago, made the statement of, I wish someone had told me when that 15 minutes was when I was either not too old or too young, but when that perfect 15 minutes, you know, I, I, I'm just sorry that I missed it. And we feel like many times coming into this ideal moment is that fragile. Many of us, are, I believe, have a pretty acute case of seasonal affective disorder. It's a real term. It's a real phenomena. You can buy special lights to help you with this. Doctors can medicate you. And there are places in the world where the sun never goes down, and there are other places in the world where it appears never to come up. My wife and I were ministering in Scotland earlier this year, and they were telling us about what their winters look like, where they go to work in the dark, and about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it begins to get dark again, and they come home in the dark. And I was like, well, no wonder you guys are grumpy in the U.K. I mean, besides that phenomenon, the fact that your food is terrible, you know, there's really... If you're from the U.K., forgive me, okay? I know you've got fish and chips, but they're still nasty, all right? And what is it with the green peas? Never mind. And so it's no wonder 
we struggle. And seasonal affective disorder is something as Christians we shouldn't be affected by, but we really are. Because we look around and then we begin to ascribe a reason of why a certain thing can't happen right now. And what's even more amazing is not so much our participation, but many times we'll try to superimpose our seasonal affective disorder onto God himself. Well, God, I know you can't do anything in the midst of this mess. God, I know you can't bless this country and you can't. I just know that. And God said, well, you talked me out of it. It's amazing. How many of you know that God is not really impressed with times and seasons and all that? Why? Because he changes the times and seasons, Scripture says. I mean, the disciples were kind of up in Jesus' face. Is this the moment? Is this going to happen this way? God, what did Jesus say? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the times and the seasons that my Father has set. That's not your concern. Your concern is what you see around you in this moment. Two weeks ago, in a transitional moment here, I I shared that I really sensed from the Holy Spirit that God wanted to bring the church into an out-of-season anointing. That we're going to be able to produce something, I believe, in the church, capital C, and I believe that same anointing extends to your life and mine where there's going to be fruit-bearing and prosperity that's going to come in spite of. That would be a moment for you to get happy, by the way, right there. Last week I spoke about this phenomenon called the Southern Grandmother. Some of you may have remembered that. If you weren't here, you can listen to it on the website. (laughs) The Southern Grandmother, a phenomenon if you wish. But there's something else that they did that southern grandmothers always put in a garden. Now, they don't plant a garden. They put in a garden. I don't know where that came from, but if you live south of the Mason-Dixon line, which I didn't realize was that far north, but nevertheless, that's what you do. And my grandmother could go out there 5 o'clock in the morning. I mean, she'd be out there with a hoe, attacking weeds, cultivating her garden. I mean, it was a, it was a thing of honor. I mean, you'd be, dry, you'd be riding around in the south and your grandmother would be in the car. Oh, this, she keeps a clean garden. That was a sign of godliness. You let weeds get in your garden, it's just like, well, you know, there's just sin and decay in that whole household. You know, it's, I mean, that was the criteria for righteousness was a clean garden, let me tell you. But in the south, but in, in eastern North Carolina where I grew up, where it never, you had nights that never got below 90 degrees and about 5,000% humidity, where you would walk outside in the morning and the, 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 the literal breath would get sucked out of your lungs and you couldn't breathe the rest of the day. But let me tell you, plants love that. I mean, it's like one big hothouse for a few months of the year. And man, you can, you can put a tomato in the ground, put a seed in the ground, and it'll come up. And under the tutelage and the guidance and the prayer of a southern grandmother, you can have vegetables, lots of vegetables. So I'm thinking that I came from the south. I should have similar skills. My wife and I moved up to what Pastor Brett calls Canada, which is just up in the front royal area, trying to just grow a few things, 
trying to grow some tomatoes. Well, they didn't work because it never gets warm enough and stays warm enough. And that and the, the, the marauding packs of deer that come in and eat everything, it, it, just, it just didn't work. Hmm. You see, it was easy in the south, but it's not so easy up here. Second Timothy chapter 4 speaks to this as well. Verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage. And then tells them, here's, now when you do that, do it with great patience and careful instruction. Most of us just don't do that. But then these next few verses give a description of what I'm going to superimpose as a definition this morning of being out of season. Now, these words were written to a young man many, many years ago. But if you would, take these verses, superimpose them onto where you and I find ourselves in this moment. See if they fit. Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Uh Uh-oh. That's why you've got all of these commentators and spectators and mashed potatoes and everybody that have an opinion and tell you what your opinion should be about what a candidate just said or what some issue is. Or you can go out to the interwebs and certainly you can find a, a group or a blog or a website. And if you can't find one, then you can start one. And then you can propagate your own brand of weirdness where people can come and follow you. Great number of teachers. A lot of them out there that every little specific, if you wish, quirk and perversion, you can find another group that you can align yourself with. It says they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Not that many generations ago, there would not have been a discussion that a marriage is defined as a man and a woman getting into covenant relationship. It wasn't complicated. But now, it's like, well, I guess a guy could marry a parakeet, and I guess, you know, if we don't want the ACLU down here, uh, and we'll, we'll give the parakeet Social Security too, I guess, you know. I guess we'll have to recognize the union. One or two generations back, this would not even have been a discussion at work. I mean, we wouldn't even have thought about it as a question that now has not only gripped the culture, but now the church is wrestling with. Help me. Or the abortion issue. That we have to define when life starts, when the Bible has already defined it. And you have you ever had a conversation and tried to bring somebody into some understanding of truth and they're completely untethered from this word, from the gravity of truth, and they're just, they're all over the place. 
turning aside to myths. The last thing that they heard on the radio on the way to work becomes now their worldview because someone communicated it at a high level. Wow. But it says, keep your head in all situations. (laughs) And by extension, keep your tongue. But endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I believe that culturally, societally, I believe we truly are coming to a moment that we are finding ourselves out of season. How many of you increasingly find yourself out of sync with the culture around you? Thank you. Now, I'm an old guy. I've got an excuse. But I hope even if you're not an old guy here, that increasingly we look around and we find, I just cannot line up with that. I don't care what the polls say. I don't care what the majority says. It's not what the Bible says. It's not in the heart of God. And so we find ourselves increasingly feeling like either I'm crazy or everybody around me is increasingly going nuts. Do you ever find yourself? And the church, many times, we've worked so hard at trying to accommodate all kinds of folk. You know, come as you are. Bring your thing in here. You can come that way. You just can't stay that way. But there are churches where you can stay that way. And we will adapt and adopt and we'll twist around our theology to somehow make it work to make you comfortable. Let me just tell you, the last that I checked, Pastor Brett nor myself nor the leadership of this house, our, we're, we're, that's not a criteria for us preaching. Is to figure out, will they like this? Will this make them comfortable? That's not our criteria. It's truth. Protestants are now in the minority in the United States for the first time in history. May have seen that. Recent, recent poll came out, survey came out. For the first time in American history, Protestants are now no longer the majority. And yet, we, we're still shocked at the conclusions that people arrive at. We're still just amazed that how can you think that way? Well, because their minds haven't been renewed yet. And in a very real way, because there is no mind of Christ outside of the redeemed mind, Romans 12, 2, beyond the church, is there any wonder why insanity reigns supreme in our culture? Wow. Out of season. I love when God is moving among a people. 1906, Azusa Street, 1948, latter rain, 1960s and 70s, charismatic renewal. I became a Christian somewhere at the latter part of that outpouring in the mid-70s. And I love revival. Oh, my. When God is truly moving among a people, it's like nothing else. It's like nothing you can inhale or shoot in your arm or ride at the county fair. Let me just tell you. I remember a moment in the mid-90s where God came and visited us in our little church in North Carolina. And I mean Sundays where people would just walk in the room and just, we didn't need the seats. 
fill in the blanks. People just fall down. I'm a, I'm a control freak. Spending many Sundays sliding down behind the pulpit. Goodbye. <laughs> Gone in the Holy Ghost. What a mess. It wasn't really church growth friendly. People walk in, everybody's, oh. I read about this. I just think I'd ever seen it. And as great as it is when God is doing it and man is not making it up, the question for us is not waiting for another one of those, but what do we do between those? I love revival, but I'm not just sitting here pining away. Oh, remember when? Remember when? Remember when? You know what? That's not the real issue at hand. The real issue at hand is not time and seasons and remember when and glory of the former house and all of that. The issue is, what are you doing now? Regardless of what's happening around you, what are you doing right now? And our mandate of fruitfulness is not based on the season in which we find ourselves. Mark 11, one of these horrible passages of Scripture. Said You can't call Scripture horrible. Horrible passages of Scripture. This one shouldn't be in the Bible, nor should the entire book of Job. should be stricken. I'm going to work on my own translation, take out everything that makes me uncomfortable. Jim's comfortable version. The JCV. Jesus is hungry for figs. Now, this is the same Jesus who's God. Made times and seasons and made the fig bush and made the fig bush to produce one crop of figs a year. I mean, he's got all this. He's God. So he walks up. He's hungry. Looks at the fig bush. All he finds is leaves. What does he do? He doesn't say, oh, I forgot. <laughs> Don't get figs this time of year. Let's go find something else to eat. No, no. He says, curse you. He curses the fig bush that he made and made and designed to operate in a certain way at a certain time, and Jesus curses it. Now, does that bother anyone but me? That, that, that bugs me a lot. Because I'm thinking, what the fig bush do to you, man? Jesus having a little cranky moment. You got him, Pastor Jim going to get struck by lightning. He keeps up like that. <laughs> But you see, there's something about when the divine shows up, all of the natural reasons, excuses, and even design and wiring changes. It changes. And the fig bush only had one response when Jesus was walking up to it. The fig bush, it ain't the season. I don't got no buds. What am I going to do here? When Jesus walked out, said, figs! It's not a matter of, I, I, I'm not ready for this. It's the wrong season. I've not been watered enough. I don't know enough scripture. F figs. That's what's supposed to happen. And yet, we don't have Jesus walking up to us. We have Jesus living inside of us. Uh-oh. Now it gets complicated. God now lives inside of you and I. Then guess what you and I are supposed to do both in and out of season? 
uh-oh, produce fruit. Ezekiel 47 speaks of this phenomenon. It speaks of a river flowing from the altar of God and trees planted by where this river flows. And it says there will be all kinds of trees for all kinds of food. Look around in this room. There are all kinds of trees in this room. All kinds of trees. You know why? Because you're supposed to be producing a particular type of fruit for the people that need to be eating from your life. All kinds of trees. But what brings these trees in common is it says it's the river. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. And they will bear fresh fruit every month. Every month. Do any of you botanists in the room know of any tree on the planet that produces a fresh crop of fruit every month? Doesn't exist in the natural. But these trees are different trees because there's water that flows from God to these trees. And yet, last time I read my Bible, it says that out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. It's the same source. It's the same water, except you are the aqueduct now for that river. You are that tree. And it happens because the water for them flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Ooh. You know, we love Jeremiah 29, 11. Love this passage. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord's plans not to harm you, plans to give you hope. And we, we got all that. We, 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 we have that one in our Rolodex. We got that one. But we don't back up and reread the context of where this came from. That God has now taken an entire nation because of their false worship and their apostasy, and they have shipped them off to Babylon. A modern-day equivalent would be if something geopolitically, militarily happened, and all of a sudden, next week this time, you find yourself living in Iran. All of a sudden, your wife is wearing a burqa, so she won't be stoned. Food that you don't like, a language you don't understand, being surrounded by people that don't like you and never will. And we can't even imagine what that might be like to be rooted out of everything that we know and dropped in the midst of a foreign culture. This is what God did to Israel. It says it in verse 4. Prophesying through Jeremiah. To the exiles whom I have sent. I mean, to the exiles I have sent. Shouldn't be together in the same sentence into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here are the specific instructions. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. In the midst of bondage, I want you to multiply. I want you to be fruitful in a land where folk are betting against your success. I want you to be fruitful in this setting. And there's no accident that you're here. I sent you there. And seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Why? 
for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Another translation says, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Wow. So let me give you seven points about how this out-of-season anointing can come to our lives and come to the church. The first is recognizing what I call the four prophets, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. As to whether or not we're going to be a generation of Hananiah's or Jeremiah's. Jeremiah 29, 8, God says, Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Pastor, tell me everything's going to be okay. I'm going to lose this weight just by, I'm, I'm just, I mean, life's going to be good. Everything's going to be, my children, you know, the economy's just going to get better. You know, I'll tell you anything you want to hear. And there are folk that will tell you anything you want to hear. If you will continue to subscribe to their website, send them a check, come to their church. Hmm. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And Jeremiah 28 highlights this prophet by the name of Hananiah. Now, this exile is a 70-year exile. 70 years in the Bible is a time frame for an entire generation. And Hananiah is, you know, looking around and maybe he's got a slot on TBN somewhere or maybe he's got an article in Charisma and, you know, he wants to be able to continue to get published. And so he's like, you know what? This thing's only going to go for two years. Don't know, where, don't know where these other guys are getting the 70 from, but two years and you're going to be out of here. It's going to be good. going to be fine. going to be all right. Jeremiah had fashioned a yoke of wood around his neck, and Hananiah, to make his point, came and he broke that yoke as a prophetic action, a prophetic sign of what was going to happen. <laughs> Jeremiah came back to Hananiah, and he said, Well, you've broken wooden bars, but you've made in their place bars of iron. I'm beginning to think about what are bars of iron? It's placing false hope on people. That's what bars of iron are. It's that all of a sudden now, rather than you receiving the grace for that which you're in, we're listening to somebody else tell us, oh, it's going to be fine. Just, just believe a little bit more. I got to tell you, faith is difficult enough without some toothy fool telling me it's easy. Faith is designed to be difficult. Why? Because you are taking that which is natural and you are violating a natural law, a natural principle, a natural diagnosis, and you are applying God's word to it which overrides the season. It overrides any other word because the debar of God is the final authority. The word of God is the final authority. And we need to understand that faith violates the natural. And boys and girls, faith will violate you and I. And God will many times 
put us in natural places that violate us. Oh, no, not the God I serve. No, hallelujah, no. I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor, but the God I serve, he just would not, he, he just would not do that. Well, I'm sure the God that you made up in your mind might not do that. But the God of Scripture will. Faith. Faith designed to be difficult many times. It's why in John 6, they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, what remains of the law? What works that should we do? And his response was, this is the work of God to believe in the one he has sent. You realize the hardest work you will ever do is to believe what God has already said. That's hard work. Amen? Number two, we need to stop waiting for the ideal and learn to operate in the real. Genesis 26, Isaac sowed what? In a time of famine. And it says, that year he reaped a hundredfold. And it says that not only did he have wealth, he said his wealth, he became very wealthy. Now, I don't know about you. I would just stop at wealth. Wealth would be good. Wealth would be great. But it says the man became rich. His wealth grew until he became very wealthy. And yet, can you imagine the people around him? He's out there taking the last of his wheat, and he's sowing it. And they're saying, have you looked around you? Nobody's planting any crops. Nobody's starting any business. Nobody's trying to build a church building with cash. You've lost your mind. Are you listening to what's going on in the economy? Have you read the Farmer's Almanac? This is not the time to sow your seeds. You're going to need those for biscuits later. And he sowed. And God said, a hundredfold, I'm going to give you back. Because you sowed in a time of famine, I'm going to confound all of those around you. Uh-oh. Reproduce. Jeremiah, take wives, sons and daughters. Give them. Have children. Will we continue to reproduce in moments where we are harried, harassed, and stressed? And you know, nature, the first thing nature does, it goes into a survival mode. And part of that survival mode, it stops reproducing. Plants do this. Animals do this. Human beings do this. I've told this story before, but my father-in-law was a large animal vet. He also pastored a church. Bought 60 head of sheep so he could just figure out what this beautiful pastoral analogy was that God made of his people to a flock of sheep. I said, Doc, what did you learn? He said, James, are the dumbest animals God ever put on the planet. It's not a compliment. They crush each other to death trying to get to the feeding trough. He said, a dog will come in and they'll just all step back and just watch dogs just kill one another. Where goes Fred? And he said, when they get harassed like that, there are no lambs in the spring because they stop reproducing. And yet the command of God is to do what? Reproduce. Multiply. Do not decrease. Number four. Rather than cursing the darkness, we need to find the light. John 12, 35, Jesus said, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Isaiah 45 says this, Truly you are a God who hides himself. 
I used to play hide and seek with my kids. But as they got older and got that more sophisticated in their seeking skills, I had to increase in my hiding skills. You realize that God will disappear for a moment? You got to be kidding. How many of you have had a moment or season or two in your life where you just couldn't find God? It's just something that God just disappeared. I mean, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you do the right things, but it's just like, I'm not breaking through here. You know, this number has been temporarily disconnected. I had a season in my life where God was in just an amazing fellowship. It 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 was just rich, intimate. The audible voice of God, just amazing. Six weeks later, I mean, six weeks, God just takes off, disappears, just leaves. I'm thinking, what do I do? I mean, I'm not in any more sin than I usually am. I'm not, not any bigger knucklehead than I usually am. I mean, what did I do to offend God that he left? And literally six weeks later, God comes back. I was in a vehicle, and God just, and I'm like, Where have you been? Wrong question. The next time that I move, you come find me. Don't wait for me to show back up. 1989, I remember it to this day, vividly. The cloud moved, Israel moved with the cloud. Some of you need to go find God. While God is easy to find. Hmm. We're going to find the light. We better be the light. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill is not easily hidden. Do you realize even the seven and a half watt bulb in your nightlight at three o'clock in the morning is a veritable beacon to keep you from slamming in the furniture? Right? I mean, you're really glad that you got that little seven. I mean, all of a sudden, it's just like, wow, look at all the light this thing is throwing. And yet, when it's light and the nightlight, when it's daytime and the nightlight is still on, you're like, well, that's not real impressive. Little old nightlight. Can't even tell if you're on or not. But let me tell you, when it gets dark, you can see it. And you know what? Things may get darker around us, but guess what's going to happen with the church? Proportionally, we're going to get a whole lot brighter. And the beacon that God has always intended the church would be, we are going to become. Being the light. Changing the environment, number six. I don't have time to mention this. We talked about it last week. Joseph, God's called us to be a thermostat, not just a thermometer. That we go into a place because of the favor and anointing of God, it changes. Then finally, number seven, it becomes an issue of glory. John 15, 8. But by this, my Father is glorified. Not whether or not you have an hour-long worship meeting. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. See, our worship's going to be redefined not just by what we do in a liturgical setting, but whether or not fruit can be born in our life all the time. When there's no fruit, when the grocery store shelves are completely vacant and people walk into church and they say, my goodness, look at the fruit in this place that you walk and everybody else, they've got no apple in their bag. 
and there are apples that are laden in your life, all of a sudden people are going to say, hmm, something going on there. Something's going on. And I'll close with this, Revelation 22. The angel showed me the river of life flowing from the throne. And it speaks of a tree again, 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Now, this is something in heaven. Leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They'll see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. Talk about a perfect environment. And they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What have I asked today? Will you receive an out-of-season anointing for your life? Some of you feel increasingly out of gas, out of sync, out of season. It's like, God, do I even belong here? Some of you have wondered that in your own marriage. You've wondered that in your own workplace. Let me tell you, God is going to anoint you out of season if you will receive that anointing. Pray with me.